I press a lot of buttons to get this podcast up and running. Yes, yes. Today, they must have changed. I've got to talk to our producer here. Uh, what's going on there? I got a little controller. But anyway, welcome. I'm uh, Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. We just kind of rolled, rolled right in. into our uh, podcast episode. Uh, this is, I think, episode like 81, 82, something like that. So welcome. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, we're a father and son pastoral team serving local church in Methuen, Massachusetts. And uh, this podcast hopefully serves as your window into what goes on in the uh, pastor's study throughout the week. The things that we chat about, try to figure out, uh, the things we talk about that uh, um, are almost always biblically related, um, but also are, you know, how we process the world around us through scripture, how we process the, what that's happening in our culture. And um, yeah, just have those conversations. Sometimes right. it's just, you know, our favorite cup of coffee or what's going on. We in do that conversation too. Yep. Sports. But, you know, travel, yeah. all those things. Yeah. We like Does the pitch clock things. really affect yet? Yeah, and... I'm not sure. Yeah, it's been, yeah. I, su- supposedly the games are shorter for the pitch clock thing. Okay. Um, although... I don't know why you would pull a group of people who have no interest in your sport, what would make them watch your sport, and then make all of the changes when all of the people who already watch your sport aren't necessarily interested in those changes. True. Um, I'm not sure that I'd be interesting. I know that the game time for Major League Baseball is down. I'm not sure the viewership is up yet. That, that's the question. That's the question. Right. Right. Either way. Right. Um, you know, some people just don't like watching chess with a baseball, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, but that's that's okay. That's that. We'll have that conversation maybe someday. What's yes, going on will. in Major League Baseball? Yeah. We yeah. Will. Absolutely. I'm huge yeah. baseball fans, and it's yes. good to have baseball back. Watch all the movies. I'm ready. Yes. Um, but yeah. Anyway, yes. so pastor study. That's this. Yeah. You know, we're, little, we're gonna go back in there. That was a little like a little yeah. diversion into yeah. some of the things we do. But anyway, welcome. Yeah. We're glad you're here with us. Um, we are going to kick off our uh, episode today with a theological term of the week and hopefully the correct button push. Let's see. The theological term of the week. I did it. I got it right. This oh, week's good. term, this week's term is imminence. I knew that was coming soon. <laughs> we talked about eschatology yes. last yes. week. So. Yes, eschatology is, yeah. eschatology is the topic, mm-hmm. right? Which is the study of last things. And we need to talk about imminence, which was means... a great band in the early 2000s, right? Was it now? Oh, that was uh, Evanescence. Although uh, I think Eminence is actually his band. But probably. It has to be. You got to take these words and do something with them. Right. Yeah. So right. what is, so Eminence, which is different than Eminence. Yes. Eminence would mean something that's great or above. Right? Okay. Eminence means soon. 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 Ah, we got to the word soon. Yes. Soon. Yes. So, so that's what Eminence actually means is soon. And when you deal with the word imminence within the context of eschatology, you are identifying that the return of the Lord will happen soon. Mm, mm-hmm. Soon. At any time. And it, imminence really is a unifying term yes, for, it is. for all Christians. Yes. And then the definition of imminence, that's where things start to get interesting in the eschatological world. Yes. And a lot of these terms we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks when we talk about eschatology terms, they're going to have, they're going to have some generally accepted 
definitions, mm. and they are going to have some interpretive distinctions okay. amongst them. So, Is that the case with eminence also? Eminence, yeah, eminence does. Uh, there are some, and we'll, we'll define this later. We'll mm-hmm. do those terms of the week later. But eminence has some folks that say uh, that Christ's return is imminent because um, the kingdom, the world is almost coming to an end. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and and when the world comes to an end, just before the end the the end comes and the world comes to an end, uh, Christ is going to return, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Right. And then there are others who say that imminence is the imminent return of Christ is more about a new epic in the world where the church is no longer here. And God is going to return to a to a focus on Israel and upon judgment in our world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are the two those those are the two perspectives. One way or another, uh, his return is his, soon. His return. His the question return is more about what happens to the church than what happens with Jesus. Exactly, and the return could be you know the return could be before you actually get to hear this podcast. That'd be awesome. That would be absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind with imminence is that there really are no, and, and this, is, this is something that just about everyone theologically agrees with, it's whether they apply it or not, <laughs> right? Um, but the doctrine of imminence says that there are no necessary signs or activities that must take place before the return of Christ. Mm. Now, that might blow some of your theological, some of your eschatological structures totally out of the world. Right, because how many people, I, I don't know, I run into this pastorally a lot. I assume Christians have these conversations a lot. Like, you know, when people start looking at the news and they're saying XYZ is happening, therefore Jesus is coming soon. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, there's a war. There's a new war. That must mean the end of the world is coming. The Lord is on his way, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And one of the things that goes into this is that uh, all of the statements that Jesus uses about the return of the Lord, mm-hmm. um, all of the things that he says that you're supposed to look for are uh, normal everyday activities. Yeah. So, we miss that, right? Because yeah. they seem extreme in the way he's saying it. You're like, okay, these are like the, this is the checklist, especially those of us who are checklist people. Like, okay, checklist of things that we need to look for from, from our culture before uh, Jesus can return. You're right. All of these things happen and always happen constantly. But if you, even for those checklisty people, all I do is go back to like, what, AD 70 and everything happens. Yes, absolutely. So, so let's, let's look at a good one, right? Mm -hmm. So every, here's, here's the ultimate imminence statement. Um, uh, the ultimate sign statement. Mm-hmm. Jesus is asked about the signs of his second coming, and what he says is, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the end times. And people stop reading there, mm. and they think, okay, so the world has to get super, super wicked. Mm-hmm. And when the world gets super, super wicked, then Christ is going to return. But if the world isn't super, super wicked, then Christ won't return because the world isn't wicked enough. Oh, yeah. Right? What they miss, though, is that Jesus actually defines what what in it is that Noah. were things in the days of Noah. And he, what he says is that men were mar- people were marrying and giving in marriage. Huh. I think we do that. We do that. Yeah. In fact, this is one of the cool things. It's one of the cool things about life 
is that it doesn't matter how ugly and how despicable and how unruly life goes, people will still be getting married. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like there's this old war movie called The Guns of Navarone. Ah, it's a great movie. Great movie, right? Yeah. You know, David great Niven. Book. Great, yes, excellent right. book. Excellent series, by the way. That, mm-hmm. that he just a really good series of books. It's Alistair McLean, right? Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Winning yeah. the trivia contest where, so far. Where eagles dare. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so there's this scene in that movie. Just picture this. The movie is about um, a, a task force of British commandos who have to knock out some very heavy um, artillery pieces on a small island so that there can be uh, so that they can evacuate. The British troops in Greece. Okay. Mm-hmm. Death mission. Death right. mission. Suicide mission. Suicide mission. Yep. Yes. No man coming back from this. Yes. So they're going to go. They have to try and get these get these guns removed. Right? So they parachute into this island. They go into, they go into it. Um, it. The island is being held by, uh, by Germans. It's, there's German soldiers everywhere. There is a scene in that movie where they blend into the community and into the countryside by going to a wedding. Hmm. And then going from that blended in wedding to, uh, to, you know, just to the, to the reception afterwards and mm-hmm. all of it. That scene to me typically shows this whole concept of imminence because he, there they are. In the middle of a war. In the middle of a war. Inhabited by a by a, garrison. Of, garrisoned yeah. by an adversarial group of people and and uh, this these horrible machines of war right, right in their backyard. And what are they doing? They're getting married. Mm-hmm. Because getting married is what people do. That's interesting. So why would Jesus refer to the days of Noah when it came to giving, uh, like what's the tie in to Noah and marriage? I think, I think the concept there is that, uh, people want to think that the world is going to get worse and worse. And it, it, Oh, so it's like it that is. extreme version of how bad the world was. Yeah, how bad the world was. Because it was you so know, bad because there's only one righteous family and God wipes out the entire right. population. So how, how will you know? How will you know? These sins have been married. That okay. the, the moment has come when God is going to return. Well, the world was really bad once mm-hmm. and people were still getting married. Mm-hmm. Just keep in mind, when Christ comes, people will still be getting married. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's one of the signs still applicable. It's it's universal. It is happening. People get married today. Do you think his disciples heard these statements of Jesus? I, I wonder this about a lot of how the disciples process what Jesus had to say. Do you think these disciples heard these statements of Jesus and they're like, oh, that's now? Or do they think they heard those statements of Jesus and thought, oh, that could be anytime, Jesus? Like... It's hard to say. I think John, John gives us some insights on that. Like uh, John, um, end of John chapter two, Jesus cleans, cleanses the temple, mm-hmm. right? The first of two. Mm-hmm. I, I have not watched any of the chosen. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get into that. But I understand that they've only done one temple cleansing. Huh. And John says that there's two of them, right? So... There's this temple cleansing goes on in, in John chapter two. And in that temple cleansing, um, there's this 
statement from John where he says, and, you know, because it was written zeal for your house, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't think John, who at that moment is probably about a 16 year old boy. Uh-huh. I don't think John is standing there in the temple watching Jesus throw over tables and saying, oh, that reminds me of zeal for your house from, uh, you know, from the Psalms. No, there's a lot of this that these guys, these guys are like, these guys are like the two men walking on the road mm-hmm. to Emmaus. They're like great story, Jesus. Love that, you know. Mm. It's almost like great sermon, Jesus. It's kind of like you know Sunday morning. It's after all of this. It's after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that the disciples suddenly go, "Wow!" I just realized what he's been. Holy Spirit illuminated. This yes. is what Jesus has been doing all along. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of see that even in you know the storm on the storm on the sea, mm-hmm. where all of the t- disciples think that they're going to drown, and they wake up Jesus, who has no fear of drowning, mm-hmm. and say, "Lord, wake up! We're about to drown. Don't you care mm-hmm. that we're all going to die?" Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and Jesus' response is to calm the sea, and then their response, having been with Jesus now. Probably for 18 months, two years, is to go, wow, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Yeah. Guys. Same guy who's been doing a miracle every other weekend for the last two years. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. So there's a lot that doesn't dawn on them, like, right away. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah. then, isn't there a lot that dawns on us as Christians? Sure. Oh, yeah. Not right away. Just suddenly grow work into of it. The spirit in our yeah. lives. Yeah. 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 So ultimately, right, I think you know, the disciples write this, the church understands this and has always understood this at some level. Yes. That you know, as Jesus leaves at the end of the gospels, um, and right. returns to heaven, his re- his return back is promised as soon. Soon. And um and ever since then, we have been trying to figure out what soon means. Yes. Maybe We've not been spending enough time doing the go in the world and all make all disciples piece as much as we've been wondering about the soon, you know, give or take. Some of us all wrote to the Thessalonian church and, and said, get back that. to work. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're all gonna, soon, but not necessarily. He said soon, we're all going to sit back and just wait for him to come, right? And yeah. You know, Paul's like, no, get busy. Yeah. Jesus, come and get busy. He's coming. Yes. Yeah, see old bumper sticker, right? Yes. Um, yes. There you go. So that's, that's imminence. Imminence. The doctrine of imminence. We know. Soon. We know. The Lord is coming soon. Yes. Just don't know quite what soon means. But it's soon. But we know it's soon. Yes. It is. Imminence. Theological term of the week. The theological term of the week. I think I figured out that one of my buttons is just mislabeled, but I think I know now which one is the right one. Okay, good. But don't test it yet. No, no. Well, you know, if we suddenly disappear, know that I pressed the wrong one. Yes. But we love you anyway. Thanks we for do. joining us. Yeah. So um, you said something just a second ago, right? And I think it leads into a conversation we were having a little bit earlier today. Um, which we're going to have again. Which we're about to have again. Imminently. Yes. Soon. We'll get there. Um, I care. You use that phrase, I care. Right. And we're, we're thinking about like the world we're in right now and how we've gotten where we've gotten. And generally, generationally, there's always this, um, 
conflict. It's, you know, as culture progresses, you look at like, I remember I'm an elder millennial. Um, so I, I sit on the fence between the Gen Xers and the millennials behind me. And so I remember growing up in the era of people complaining about millennials. Now, yes. now millennials are like the backbone <clears throat> of the workforce. Like that part has arrived that people have been talking about forever. All you boomers are finally There's retiring. A boomer, that's scary. And you're on your you're on your retirement. The Gen Xers are taking over the uh, the management and CEO roles that are sitting out there, which is also scary. Um, you know what's crazy? Yeah. I was offended the first time I saw this phrase. Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. Yeah. Well, like, what do you that. mean? We're young. If the if the support shoe fits. Oh. So yeah. <laughs> and your hush puppies over there. So the uh <laughs> so millennials, you know, and now there's Gen Z behind us. And yeah, um, yeah. we're watching culture shift pretty rapidly as as millennials and Gen Z kind of move into the forefront of the conversation. Because yeah. you know, you tend to see I, I you know, advertising wise, you see advertising aimed at um the people with the most disposable income. And and usually those are, you know, you have teenagers, a lot of advertising money goes to teenagers, a huge chunk, because they have um, all their parents' money to work with, plus like some money from um, whatever part-time job they have, and they don't know how to save yet. And so they're the most likely to uh, listen to advertising and spend. Yes. Um, and so you have a lot of energy sent there. You have a lot of energy sent on my generation as well yes because we've most a lot of my generation is is moving through that early point in their career where they have to work meaningless jobs for no money and they're starting to have some discretionary income so a lot of advertising money goes toward my generation and then a lot of advertising money goes toward the uh you know soon to be retired generation also but that's usually for um, estate lawyers and uh, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> well, and help! I can't get. Yeah, up. that one's coming soon for you guys. <laughs> um, so, so with all of this advertising, with all this cultural shift, it seems like it happens pretty rapidly, and I think it always has. Yeah. Uh, but I remember reading like 10, 15 years ago, and being hopeful on this report that talked about how um, the generations that are coming up next, the the younger millennials, the Gen Zs, um, those generations were leaning more spiritually minded than yes. the generations that had preceded them, like the Xers and, yes. and the and the boomers. And I remember reading that early on in my pastoral um role in ministry and being really excited and optimistic. Like, yeah. This is this is great. Yeah. Um we have a generation who is no like we have generations coming who haven't grown up in the um rationalist skeptic a mindset of right. the you know educational system of the 50s and 60s and 70s and we have people who are coming up who are more interested in spirituality quote unquote but now that we're a good 15 years into this so there was another aspect of that too and that was that that gen z category for example yeah um this had a lot of concern for some in my generation who had a different perspective because mm -hmm. that Gen Z group was also tended to be pro-life. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That too. You know, they tended to be, they tended to be, and maybe it's because they looked at, maybe it's because the Gen Z group looked at life from their own lens mm -hmm. 
rather than from a philosophical lens. Mm -hmm. So from their own lens, their own lens was, well, why would I kill my own baby? Right. Right. And and I think that is in a sense playing out, but there's now we're now we're learning about some new conflicts. We're watching new conflicts arise, right? And so the numbers of abortion are dramatically down. Hugely, yes. Praise God, right? Yes, amen. And I just saw an article this morning, I think something like the neighborhood of twenty to 30,000 lives have been saved since the uh, overturning of the Dobbs thing. Beautiful. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. praise God for that. Yeah. Um, but in general, like, even though, even though access to abortion is very easy, culturally, we are moving away from it as a practice. Yes. Again, praise God, right? And I think that's because of this cultural shift. But what we're also seeing is though there is more interest in spiritual things, um, we're not seeing necessarily that interest moving toward Jesus. No, exactly. Um, Yes. And we're seeing, it's just, it's a weird, squishy thing that we're looking at right now as a culture. And and one of the things I was thinking about as I In fact, there's even reaction against Jesus. Right. Uh, Yeah, you're right. You're right. There is. And and so you have to ask the question, if they're spiritually minded, why is the reaction away Mm. rather than toward Christ? Yeah. You know, I I saw a clip of... um, a podcast that's just a, like it has a couple more followers than ours. It's, it's a guy named Joe Rogan. Um, but he's oh, okay. just barely, you know, he's just a little bit higher than us on the chart. Watch out, Joe. We're behind yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, we're coming. Uh, so, uh, Joe Rogan, I just this quick clip talking about religions in the world and how weird it was that Christianity is the only one that you can hate. Um, yeah, it's yeah, very interesting. He said, like, every other religion that you look at in the world, like, there's this, like, you know, you need to offer respect toward that religion. You need to offer grace toward that religion. And the, there's this beautiful, there are these beautiful elements to their belief system. When it comes to Christianity, we hate that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and that's true. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons behind that. Honestly, yeah, a lot yeah. of those are actually racist and xenophobic. Yes. Um, and Christianity is not a religion tied to a people group. Um, it, and so that's one of the reasons you're allowed to hate it. Um, among yes, many others. among others, yeah. But you know, we have we're kind of rambling and we're circling here. Where where I think we're going to get to. But I was trying to Are process you sure? this. I don't know. Uh-huh. I was trying to process all of this the other day and think about why it is that this culture has still um that has these semblances of Christianity, um, but also is like the exact opposite of Christianity. Like what's going on in our world? And and here's here's what I'm thinking. Um, from my early days in school, uh, and then as I watch, um, you know, I work with teenagers and I've watched a few generations of teenagers come through in my time in ministry. And as I hang out with my daughters and and see what happens there, I, I think what we've done as a culture is we've really begun to move into this, um, emphasis and, and training on making nice kind people who care. Right. And I think our cultural value is to be a culture that cares at some level, that is kind and is nice. Um, but we don't actually understand how um, to do that because we don't have any kind of basis on which to set our morality. Don't I just have to click that emoji? On the Facebook post? Yeah, right? It's the thing that frustrates all of us. We'll still respond that way. Like, we will make fun of changing the Facebook photo. Um, 
uh, to support whatever lo- recent tragedy has happened. Yeah. But we will also do it. Yes. Right. Right. Um, those who are still on Facebook. Yeah. Um, no, I mean that little kind, you know, you go through the, oh, like the, the like button thing. The yeah. Heart, I, I don't know when to use that. Like I probably just don't. Cause yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Is that saying I'm going to be kind and I like feel for you. I, f- I feel for you. See, but see there, there thoughts right. and prayers is that thoughts that's and, the thoughts and prayers emoji. Oh, is that what that is? Except. Except, you know, as Except Christians, it's, we know it's being kind. It's just the thoughts emoji, because as Christians, we know that prayers actually matter. Yes. Thoughts don't. Um, yes. And uh, so um, that's the thoughts emoji. It's because you have to embrace all religions. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. But I, you know, so here's the thing, right? So when I grew up, um, you, you probably got this too, but maybe not as much, right? Like, don't hit, don't hit, Billy. That's not nice. Uh, don't take Susie's crayons. That's not nice. Um and, um, you know, this whole list of things that we don't do because it is unkind or not nice. And what we've trained everybody to do is to grow up in a way that says the way I can be nice and the way that I can be kind to people around me is, is marked out by the things that I do not do to them. Interesting. Yeah. And the way ultimately to be kind and be nice to others is to let them be and to not have any kind of footprint in their life. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. That's an interesting way. As soon as I, as soon as I insert my belief system, worldview, opinion into their world, I do something that is unkind. I, I, I force them to question their, their decisions. I force, I trigger them into a place of doubt Mm. and anxiety. And I, I, I am, um, asserting myself in a way that ultimately is unkind and not nice. So here's the irony here, right? And, and I think that this is one of the struggles that we as believers face because true kindness comes from um, a heart that is united with a compassionate God. Mm-hmm. We understand what kind is. Sure. Right? We understand as believers in Jesus Christ that, yeah, calling somebody names is not kind. Yeah. Affirming someone is kind. Mm. Um, so, you know, we struggle with that because in its foundation, in its roots, it's us. It's who we are as Christians. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is Satan is always counterfeiting what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a um, Christian praise song that came out probably in the 90s, and the lyric is, is what kindness actually should be, right? Do your kindness, Lord, you know, the next part of this leads us to repentance. Oh, yes. Your yes. faithfulness is our desire. Yes. Right? And so uh, that actually, that does not resonate with our culture. No. Because no. like now my kindness allows you to remain who you think you are. Right. Uh, and, and it's my job to step back and allow you to be you. Because ultimately, who you are, who you are, is who you've been designed to be. Um, and this rooted in like a, a, a very big difference between Christianity and the rest of the world. Yeah. Like, as a Christian, I believe that we're all born into evil and will always choose evil given the given the option. 
And because of that, I know that you being you is evil. And it's the ultimate kindness to be able to let you know that there is a way away from evil and there is a way toward forgiveness. Right. And that you can find you can find forgiveness for your evil and for your sin through the cross. So what we have but now this is the ultimate conflict in our exactly, culture. Right. Because for me to do that would be to step into your world and say what you're doing is wrong and that's not kind. So isn't this really an application of um James and first John, mm-hmm. where you know you say in James, it's you know I I I say to you, be warm, be fed, mm-hmm. but I do nothing to take care of you by actually making you warm or actually feeding you. Yeah, I've done nothing for you. Right. James says, I have not advanced you. I've been kind. I told you, I I, I hope feel you find for warmth you. sometime. I hope you find warmth sometime, right? Yeah. But I've done nothing to change your circumstance or situation. I'm just raising awareness. Yes. This is a key phrase in that culture, in, in the new kindness culture that is yeah. not kind at all. Yep. That's when I, I wanted to let it, everybody know that I care about you not having this thing that's really valuable. I, I have it. Yes. Yes. I saw this statistic. I, I saw this statistic the other day about homelessness in the United States. Hmm. And uh, it mapped, first of all, it mapped where the homeless were in mm-hmm. the United States. And interestingly enough, there are very few homeless in Iowa. Yeah? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So... Um, well, there's very few people in Iowa. Well, there's that problem too, but... Um, per, per capita, perhaps. <laughs> right. The vast majority of the homeless in the United States live in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second largest number of the homeless are in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Now uh, it doesn't mean you don't have homeless in Florida or yeah, I would pick Honolulu. Or, it's a good spot. Which huge homeless which population? Huge homeless population because there were a lot of cities, especially in the eighties and nineties, uh, that were buying one-way tickets for their homeless and sending them to Honolulu. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they're still not doing that. Yeah. Um, but huge populations. But this is this is what's interesting. New York has this huge population of the homeless. Um. But most of them are housed because the city of New York is spending a lot of money, a lot of money, to put their homeless into places and into shelters, whereas Los Angeles has an, un, un, an amazing percentage of their homeless that have absolutely no shelter at all. Hmm. So what you have in these two areas is varying levels of kindness. It's... it's um, I see your need, um, and what I'm going to do to take care of the need is I'm going to put you away someplace mm-hmm. and house you, but that doesn't mean that you're actually taking care of their need. On the other hand, you've got the uh, the awareness folks in Los Angeles who are saying, isn't it terrible that we have all of these homeless people as they walk past them in their tents on the corners? Yeah, and, but at and least in Los do, Angeles, it's 70 degrees all the time. That's true. It's not the case in New York. That's, that's also true, Yeah, right? Um, but neither one is effective because while they're kind to their homeless and they're feeding them, mm-hmm. they aren't... Um, providing a way out of their Providing a way out of their homelessness, Yeah, right? So, so we have a culture that has embraced this concept of kind that says, like you said, I see it, I'm aware of it, uh, I want other people to be it. aware of. I have an emotional feeling about it, but I'm not going to do anything 
to change the circumstance for you. Mm -hmm. And, and therein lies a huge gulf between where uh, this generation, Gen Z, is and where scripture is. Yeah. I, I, I love their feeling. I love their emotion. Right. That's it's not, just that it's not directed. Yeah, because I think there, there, are, there have been generations before who have no feeling or, or emotion toward it, right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, just, just avoid that altogether. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there's, there's a, at, the, at, at least there is a heart. But it seems like there are these kind of um, progressive ways. Ah, I hate using that word progressive now. It's yeah, isn't a, a terrible word? Such a destroyed word. But there, there are these progressive ways of responding in kindness, right? Like, yes. So I think in our culture right now, step like the easiest and least effective is, these, these go together, the easiest and least effective is I'm going to raise awareness for this thing. So you hold up a piece of cardboard in front of your Twitter. Yes. You you yeah. change your profile photo. Like what was it? Probably fifteen years ago, you dumped really cold water over your head. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And and filmed it. Um. You'll you'll rant about it on what your. What did that do? Um. I think it actually they did raise quite a bit of research for ALS. Oh, okay. Ra raised quite a bit of money for ALS. So that's wow. good. Um. Because people people with resources did give toward it. Um, okay. Um, so, so bear, like the lowest impact, easiest to do is the raise awareness step. Yes. You change your profile photo, you share something and hope other people like it. But that's also, that does more um, for the person who is sharing it and who is raising awareness than it does for the cause. Right? Yes. I feel good. I feel I've accomplished something. Some people liked my post that I sent. And so I get all of the dopamine response from this because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. people see me as caring and pe people see me as somebody who has uh, a heart for these issues. And so the most selfish, easiest thing to do with the least amount of impact is the raise awareness step. And I think culturally we all agree on that, even yes. though we all will do it. Right? We're all guilty of this thing. Sure. Um, and I think the next step is the, I am going to give toward this problem step, right? I'm going to give time toward this problem or I'm going to give financially toward this problem. Um, and that is a more effective step, right? Like I'm, uh, I'm helping a buddy who works for a foundation down in Boston this weekend. They're, they have a big concert, um, raising a boatload of money. And this, this organization directly goes in and brings financial resources to people who have gone through miserable things in their lives, right? Yes. So it is a, it's a giant fundraiser event. This is the classic charity um, in, in the world. You raise a bunch of money for a particular problem. You take that money, you, you cut out your administrative fees, some of those charities, others take that money and move it right over into the need. Mm -hmm. But at mm -hmm. some level in that spectrum, it's a more effective thing than just raising awareness. Um, you're actually resourcing people who are hurt and broken and mm -hmm. helping them recover from mm -hmm. a problem. Your economies of scale. You're, you're bringing in, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're bringing in, uh, um, a big name person a, to help make that all sure. up. Yeah, yeah. All kinds of things that charities have yes. done over the time, right? Like, um, even you go, even go back in American history, you know, Johnstown is flooded because of a bunch of like, yes, rich we people that. Yes. do some terrible things because they want their fishing club, you know, to work well. And after that destruction, they raise a lot of money. They use a lot of their resources to benefit and bless a lot of people, right? So we do that from the back. Like, 
half the towns in the Midwest have an Andrew Carnegie Library. Yes. Um, and, you know, you have the DuPont hospitals and all those right. things from that very generous The Vanderbilt family, churches. The Vanderbilt churches. Yeah. So all of these things that, that come from direct result of charity from wealthy people that have, that have had impact. Yes. Right. Um, a lot of the hospitals that exist are because really wealthy people wanted to do something good with their money. Yes. And, you know, we, we do this. This is good. So next yes. step, next step, more effective than the thoughts. You know, I'm going to give my thoughts. I'm going to make a post, people. Right. And then, but not the most effective. No. No. Um, it's, you know, on the scale of difficulty, it's higher. On the scale of effectiveness, it's in the middle. Right. The most difficult on the scale of effectiveness but also the most effective on the scale of effectiveness is actual life-on-life -life change. So this is interesting because you've mentioned, you mentioned, we mentioned Vanderbilt and Carnegie. Mm -hmm. um, and indirectly Frick. Mm -hmm. You know, their greatest, their greatest competitor, the person that those three men hated the most in this world was a guy named John Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, John Rockefeller, whereas his son, John D., would be more famous and would be more philanthropic, mm -hmm. would follow more along the lines of, of uh, Carnegie and, and so on. But John Rockefeller, uh, he started a company called Standard Oil. It was eventually deemed to be too large, so it became uh, Exxon, Mobil, um, Standard Oil of Ohio, Marathon Oil, uh, Chevron, all of those companies, they all were his company, his gas company, his, his oil company. Mm -hmm. All right. He was a ruthless businessman. Mm. Just absolutely ruthless. Um, but John Rockefeller never was out of Cleveland on a weekend mm. because he has had an obligation to teach fifth grade boys Sunday school. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. John Rockefeller, the multi-million dollar tycoon, spent a lot of money helping people mm -hmm. and spent a lot of money in our world. Yeah. You know, bought Yellowstone National Park. Nice. You know, paid for that. Yeah. Paid for all kinds of other things, right? Uh, Acadia National Park up here in, right. in yeah. uh, Maine mm -hmm. uh, also had major funding from John Rockefeller, the, the senior. Um, his greatest accomplishment was one-on-one -on -one work with fifth grade boys every mm. single week mm. that mm -hmm. no one actually even noticed. Yeah. Because he went back and taught Sunday school at his little Baptist church in Cleveland every single Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing, like the life on life, um, building into people and caring for them and walking them through the challenges of life is the most effective, but most difficult form of work and kindness that yes. you can do. Yes. And, and I think, I think one of the things that is frustrating and what frustrates many of us in the culture that we're looking at is not only are we elevating the value of the easiest form of charity we are also castigating the value of the most effective. Right. Well, right? here's the thing. Because what we're saying, what we say is um, to step into somebody else's life and point out an area in which they are wrong and need to change and to support them through the process of that development of ch and change is elitist. It is, um, it is um, the misuse of power. 
and it's you know bad power dynamics and it is it is destructive and has been historically destructive on a grand scale yeah the actual thing that we're being told this is what we're communicating right yeah Yeah. and that just goes against i think what it is that we've been taught through our faith so here's here's we're talking about this in the show notes and you brought this up and you you make the made the distinction as we were talking there's a distinction between passive kindness, mm-hmm. which is what the world currently practices, kind of like it's it's the thumper principle. You know, yeah. if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and it's the thumper principle. And so we have this negative or passive view of kindness, and that is it's not mine to judge. I'm not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm just going to let you be you, very passive. Whereas the one-on-one part is very active. It's a very active kindness. Mm-hmm. It's it's trying to actually change the world. Mm-hmm. And this is a key key aspect of being a believer in Jesus Christ, right? Um we're here to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. That means we can't be passive. We actually have to be kind to people. Right. And to be kind to people is to Take them out of their sin or take them out of their pattern that's continuously wrecking their lives. So we, I was talking, illustrating that in my mind. And so one of the illustrations of that is uh, when you were uh, in junior high school, you were a wrestler. And uh, you were in a wrestling match. And uh, it, was, it was very interesting. We were, it, I was watching you wrestle. And uh, you wrestled with this guy. He went out of out of the ring. He had to come back to the center. And all of a sudden, the uh, I mean, you're just focused on getting back in. And the um, the referee looks at you, and then looks at your hand. I don't know, didn't know why at the time. Just kind of looks at you, looks at you, and then you lost the match. <laughs> okay, he, he declared the match over. And yeah. the reason he declared the match over is that you're. Your thumb was pointing toward your elbow. Yeah, I remember looking down to go back at that ring, and I looked down, and my hand looked wrong, and I realized it was because I couldn't see my thumbnail, and I thought I had lost my thumbnail. Yeah, oh, but yeah. it was actually that the thumbnail was on the bottom, bottom side of my thumb. Yes, yeah. yeah. It was so little... those of you who are driving now are kind of queasy, I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah. it was... Yeah. It was bad news. All right. It's going to get worse. Just maybe you need to pull over to the side of the road. Here you go. Get your breath. Yeah. So I took him to get, took it in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And uh, the... My favorite part, I they brought me over to the trainer and the coach was with me. Yes. And the trainer's looking at it and they started wiggling my thumb and I went, I apparently went green. And I remember my coach telling the trainer, like, I wouldn't do that if you, if I were you. I think you'll lose him if you touch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then they brought me to the yeah, ER. Yeah, so right? we went to the ER and uh, called in an orthopedic surgeon who mm-hmm. was uh, influential in your life because yeah. he wore a Rolex. I the think gold was... Rolex. I remember it vividly. I yeah. got to meet that guy a couple times. Yeah, yes. He was almost on speed dial in our yeah. household. Anyway, uh, um, so he stands here and he's looking at you in this room, a 14-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy, and he, he, said, he said, Jeremy, I've got... He said, here's the deal. He says, your thumb is out of joint. He said, I can give you a bunch of Novocaine shots, and each one of them is going to sting. And then we have to wait for the Novocaine to take place, and he said, then I can move your thumb back into place. Or he said, you can just let me take your thumb and put it back in its socket. It will hurt really bad for a second or two, 
but it'll be done. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. All right. I love that illustration for an illustration of kindness because kindness is, first of all, identifying that there's, there's something, something out, of, out of order. Yeah. And that there's something that can be done for it. Mm-hmm. And there are options in how that's going to be done, but they're not choices. I like to make this distinction between options and choices. We mm-hmm. Choices give the impression that, that I can do whatever I want. Yeah. You did not have the choice of leaving your thumb out of socket. Yeah, it would have been a challenge for the rest that, of my life. Exactly. I mean, just, you, you couldn't hitchhike. You would always be going <laughs> the wrong direction, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was not the, that was not a choice. Here are the options. You, you can have a lot of little stings and a lot of time, or I can just do this, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's where we are with kindness as Christians, right? I, I can't. I can't leave you in your sin. Right. Got it. I got into trouble on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. Some of you have mentioned it. Um, you, have a, you have a habit of that. I have a habit of that, which is why I try to stay off of Facebook. I try not to comment. <laughs> um, but it was a, situa- a moment of kindness. I couldn't let this situation go. I mm-hmm. couldn't not... And this is the thing that all of us as Christians face, is that as Christians, and if you're a Gen Zer, I want you to understand, I'm, I confront things like this out of love because if I don't, it means people die. Hmm. It mean, th- think of it that way. If you don't talk about sin or you just say, oh, it's not kind for me to talk about their experience, you let those people die. Yeah. I uh, remember an interview from uh, Penn Jillette, the magician, talking about the, the kindness of a man who brought him a Bible after one of his shows. And he was, he was saying that he had, he had come to the show the night before, came back the second night, brought him like a New Testament. You know, it was funny hearing him describe it because he had no idea what those little Gideon New Testaments were. Right, because he's an atheist for he's those of you who are not yeah. up on Pendulet. And uh, he had, you know, inside, the guy told him like inside he had like several phone numbers. He said he was exceptionally complimentary of me and my use of language and the, the way that we worked in the show. Just a really kind man, kind man. He was really, really like kind. He kept saying that word. And uh, and then the next part, he defined kindness. The, and I don't, he's like, I don't, I am not mad at that at all. I said, ultimately, actually, he said, if you believe, I don't, but if you believe that there was um, a choice between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell, and that you had the way toward eternity in heaven, he's like, how unkind would you have to be? To not tell everybody that there is a way out of that. He's like, if there was a truck coming down you and you were standing in the middle of the road and I saw the truck and I didn't pull you out of the way, so that would make me an evil person. Yeah. He said, if you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and that there is only one way to get to that heaven and you don't tell people about it, you're not being kind. This is really what he was getting at, right? Yes. Yes. He's like, so even though the disagreement, he said, you know, ultimately for him between his worldview and ours, he still recognizes kindness. Yes. And kindness is the willingness to step into an uncomfortable situation with truth. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. 
So what we have with Gen Z is, and it, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not, not limited. It's, to, it's not limited to them. Right. Wait, it's just, we have been, I think it's probably actually, a, been, it's probably actually a boomer thing that has actually just right. flowed over to our say, grandchildren. Our culture has been refining this messaging for a very long time. Yes. Right. Yes. It's just that it's, it's target where it is really taking root is in Gen Z. Um, but your generation and your parents' generation, well, yeah. not your parents' generation, but the generation older than yours, yeah. um, have been working really hard at trying to figure out how to communicate, <laughs> leave people alone. Yes. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm an end boomer. Yeah. Um, and I have always despised my generation <laughs> for one very important reason, and that is that my generation gave up the value of defined values uh my generation is the generation that started the whole lie of well i'm just going to let them make their own decisions on this and they'll come to a good choice yeah and that is that is just it's not kind it's not kind yeah my my peers i my just for perspective for those of you who don't my 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 parents were actually greatest generation parents. Mm -hmm. They were from the depression and the war era. And there was, there was very defined, there was very defined choice for them. There was very defined direction for them. Um, my father wasn't even a believer until well up into the, toward the end of his life. And yet he still operated with defined moralities from scripture and defined realities of, um, biblical truth mm -hmm. that he just hadn't personally accepted, which was kind of a, yeah, that was kind of a, a hallmark. Right. He understood the ethic. That, he understood the Christian ethic and applied the Christian ethic. Exactly. He just didn't know the God of the ethic. Exactly. Right. Very, very common for that, for that generation. So the next generation comes along and they, so this is like the boomers, 46 to 64. And, and that generation raises their kids with, um, an undefined ethic. Mm-hmm. And like, I, it's almost like, oh, I found the ethic because my parents helped me find it, but maybe my kids are wise enough to find it for themselves. And, and so, they might find it in another culture and they or might, another. Exactly. So, so yeah. because, and part of that was because it wasn't a defined ethic as this is a biblical ethic from the God of the Bible. This is just a biblical ethic. That generation, I know that's heavy and I'm sorry if you have to rewind that one yeah, just for a second. Back 15 second thing. Okay. Um, what we have now with Generation Z is we have a generation that's mirroring the boomers in that they're supposed to go out and find a foundation for their ethic of kindness, but they're not actually looking. Well, no, I don't think that's true. In a slight disagreement, I okay. think that their actual foundation is kindness. Okay. So they've lost all the... Yeah. Okay. So they... and. The problem with that is that kindness is something that has to be based on something logically. Yeah. Um, but we've removed that structural support underneath kindness. And so we're left without any really good way of defining what it is or how to apply it. And we're leaving it in the hands of people not yet equipped to apply it to do so. Yeah. And, um, then, and then you used the word logical, which yeah. is just another issue because if I talk about something logically... To somebody who's also basing his entire life yeah. on kindness, then I'm being unkind because I haven't 
Mm -hmm. I'm telling them that they have to order their thinking my way. Right. This, this is the challenge. Which right? is unkind. So I think one of the challenges we have to do from here, we have a few minutes left in our conversation, um, but one, I think one of the challenges for the church is understanding that this is what's going on at, at some level um, and still speaking Jesus into it. I, you know, as, as a believer, my foundation is, is Scripture. Um, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of Christians who need to be reminded of that. Yeah, um, yeah. There are a lot of Christians who um, practice the natural... The, the national religion of the United States is something called therapeutic moral deism. Um, that is, therapeutic makes me feel good. Moral, there's a good to be done. Yes. And deism, there is some, some sort of higher power that helps orient that. And you get to choose your adventure within that therapeutic moral deism and its whole purpose, the purpose of the deity is to make you ultimately feel good and make people nice. Um, that's and kind. The, and kind. That is the national religion of the United States. And it's unfortunately, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are just therapeutic moral deists. And they just identified Jesus as the one who exists to make them feel good. Um, Oof, that was another one you might have to rewind for. Yeah, but that's 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 a problem within the church, and the church needs to be reminded that no, our belief system is something that has a foundation that's non-negotiable, and that's what God says through Scripture, and it's the God of the Bible. And then we, from there, once we've cleaned our own house, need to be able to go out into the world and communicate this unchanging truth to a culture that has no understanding of what foundations are or why they're necessary, and. Uh, it's going to take some good missionaries. Sure is. Sure a, is. A missionary is somebody who goes into a culture that's not their own, learns it, and then applies Jesus to it. Yes. Yeah. And, or, and brings Jesus to it. Yeah. And believer, that's you wherever you live right now. Your job is first and foremost as a missionary. Um, God's placed you in a mission field that you can work remotely from. Yes. Right? Like you... Wherever you are right now, you can communicate Jesus to the culture that is around you. It's your job to understand your Bible, and it's your job to discern your local, your microculture that you're in, and then communicate the unchanging truth of Jesus, that rapidly changing microculture. And when we can get around this as a church, we can see some really powerful stuff. It's the kind thing to do. Yes. Go and do it. Glad you joined us today. It was kind of you to do so. We'll see you back here next time, everyone. Have a great week. Let's find the uh, closing button. I don't know where it is. Maybe this one does it. <laughs> it did. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher. Music by San Demetrius, and engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to Marsh Corner.